Welcome to Narrow Way to Broadway, a podcast for people of faith with a passion for the arts. Each episode is designed to foster community for the thespian and non-thespian and the believer and non-believer alike by navigating topics affecting the hearts, minds, and homes of artists everywhere. Thanks for joining. Hello, hello, Narrowway to Broadway. Welcome to this episode of the podcast. I am truly so stoked to be here today with Kevin Cloud. Uh, He is a lifetime songwriter and multi-instrumentalist. He graduated with a music degree from the University of Kansas, um, and Kevin has performed as a jazz pianist, organist, guitarist, and drummer for the last 25 years in the Kansas City area. Uh, He is the author of God in Hamilton, Spiritual Themes from the Life of Alexander Hamilton and the Broadway Music He Inspired. Um, And his latest project is a new musical called Roar. Um, So if you have been a listener of the podcast for a while, you know that I am a total book nerd and I am a total Hamilton nerd. So this is the, I'm so excited. I could just like, you know, jump out of my seat. So, okay. Hi, Kevin. Hi, how are you doing? Thanks for having me today. I'm so excited to be talking with you. So, yes, we're so excited. Um, And so briefly before we get started, if you are one of our listeners and you love a podcast, um, Kevin also has a podcast which discusses the themes from the book God in Hamilton. And the podcast is also called God in Hamilton. And there's been some fun crossover um, of guests. So check that out if you can. Um, Okay, to get started, Kevin, I have this outline in front of me and I, I feel so just pumped to talk to you about this book. Um, So one of the things you talk about in the intro, um, you kind of comment on a theme that Lin-Manuel Miranda said about the importance of theater. And he talks about, you know, transcendence and action. And you say, uh, the show becomes a thin place, a moment of transcendence that ushers us into God's presence among us. And this thin place experience offers us a moment of action where we must decide if the story of Alexander Hamilton, a story of grace, forgiveness, death, and redemption, will transform the way we live. Um, And I, gosh, was just so, um, like, inspired by that and blown away by that because I think probably a lot of our listeners also feel that the theater, you know, the theater as a concept and the theater as an actual physical place has become, you know, this thin space for them. So I would love for you to kind of just expand on that a little bit and talk about what a thin space is. I know it's something that a lot of, you know, in Christian circles is discussed as this kind of blending of, you know, heaven and earth. But I would just love for you to expand upon that and talk about your experience seeing Hamilton and how that impacted you. Yeah. So, so overall, you know, the concept of a thin space is from Celtic spirituality. And mm-hmm. the idea is that um, there's this veil between heaven and earth. That the idea is that heaven is not some faraway place up in the sky, uh, but that heaven is actually here among us, that, that God and his presence and, and the idea of heaven is, is here. And, but there's this veil, right. That separates um, our ability to see and experience and, and know that reality. Um, but what the Celtic spirituality idea talks about is, is that there are places on this earth where that veil becomes very thin. Mm-hmm. Um, it, a lot of times it's, it's in nature, uh, it's in art, it's in creativity, these places mm-hmm. where that veil becomes a lot thinner and you can almost see and taste and, and feel the presence of, of the kingdom of God and, and the, the, the sense of heaven among us here today. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so yeah, so I, I think that 
you know, ultimately God is a creative God, right? I mean, Genesis 1, the first thing we learn about God is that God creates and that God loves to create and finds great joy in the creative process. And and I think because I think because that's such a, a big part of who God is and God's character, I think that when we go to the theater, when we see the, a movie, when we listen to a music, that we are we are entering into a thin space where where God becomes very close to us, where His truth becomes very real, and where we have a real chance to to be transformed by what we're experiencing. Right. Oh, it's so good. And I think another thing you touch on, and I loved I loved reading this because I. <laughs> my friends know I really like miss school. I really miss writing papers and I really miss like learning in, in a structured environment. <laughs> yeah, and sure. um, you sort of talk about too, this relationship between form and content, which is uh, so funny because that is a- exactly a paper that I had to write when I was in school in college. <laughs> um, but you say, you know, you sort of talk about like Hamilton as a story is an example of incredible art in the way that it transcends and like revolutionizes the methods that art employs, you know, through rap and hip hop and staging, but it also creates this thin space in emphasizing themes of grace and forgiveness, et cetera. So I would kind of love to hear how, you know, both, you know, form and content specifically aid in the experience um, of the show being life changing and that it's not just like, you know, the difference between Hamilton and just the show, like 1776, a historical musical. Right, right. Um, yeah, I would kind of love to hear you touch on that a little bit too, of like the, the pairing of these two things. Yeah, so I'll start with with content because I feel like I can I can speak more. Uh, uh, I have more to offer on the on that on that front, but on the on the content side, I just think the story of Alexander Hamilton is absolutely infused with uh, with God and God's presence and God's grace in his life. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly, I, I was lucky enough to see the show in New York and uh, just. As as I was watching this story unfold on stage, the, ma- the the huge themes of the gospel are at the center of Hamilton's story. This is a story mm-hmm. of grace. This is a story um, of forgiveness. One of the most moving moments in the entire show is when Eliza Hamilton, after Alexander has committed an affair mm-hmm. and betrayed her and then made the affair public to basically save his political reputation. Um, yeah. He's doing awful things. And, and yet, Eliza Hamilton, who walked deeply with God, um, you know, one of my favorite parts of researching this book was learning about Eliza Hamilton and learning about her faith and what a remarkable woman she was. But she gets to a point where she finally forgives him. And that moment on stage is one of the most powerful moments in the entire show. I mean, you can feel in the audience this weight, this presence. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a thin place at that moment. And the reason that happens is because we are confronted with this act of forgiveness. And I think the audience is confronted um, with the question of, will we be a people that forgive? You know, will we follow Eliza's example and forgive the people that have hurt us and wronged us? And, and you asked earlier about the idea of moments of action. Mm-hmm. And that's what Lin-Manuel Miranda says is what's so powerful about theater. And it happens all the time through Hamilton is that these moments on stage happen that confront us as the audience and challenges us to ask, how will I respond to what I just saw? How will I respond to this story that has impacted me? So, so again, on content, um, you've got forgiveness, you have grace, you have death, you have redemption. Um, I mean, the story of Eliza Hamilton with the, with the small group of women starting the first public orphanage in New York City is an absolutely remarkable story of redemption, right? Hamilton was an orphan himself. It was one of his greatest sources of kind of pain and, and, and shame and, and, and um, just, just misery in his life was that reality. And 
Eliza as a, as any loving spouse would, I, I just can imagine her sharing that burden with him, carrying that burden with him, carrying that pain with him. And then years after Hamilton is, is shot and killed, she starts an orphanage and, and she has this great line that makes it in the musical where she says that I see Alexander in the eyes of every one of these orphans that we love and we serve. And mm-hmm. it's just a beautiful story of, of the way one woman took a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of brokenness in her life and in her husband's life and, and tried to make it beautiful. And so these ideas, the content is just are just found throughout Hamilton. Now on the form question, um, again, I can't speak as intelligently as, as, um, the, the, as the um, themes of this, but the, but the form question, I read a lot about the idea that, that hip hop, when Hamilton was, was writing this musical, part of what makes it so brilliant is, is the form of hip hop that, that telling a story about revolution, what better, what better style of music, what better genre of music to tell the story of the American revolution than the language of hip hop. And, and it was a brilliant move and it was an unprecedented move. And I think it's part of why the musical has captured so many people um, because it just was an absolutely, it was the perfect form, the perfect style of music to tell this story. Yeah. And that actually segues well into my next question, just because I I know that in the book, you also quote Jeremy McCarter, who worked on the show. And he says, uh, hip hop is uh, the music of ambition, the soundtrack of defiance. And later he says, um, you quote him and you say that sometimes the right person tells the right story at the right time. And through a combination of luck and design, a creative expression gains new force, spark, tinder, breeze. Um, and I love that. And this is sort of a conversation that has been ongoing and I've and I've been having it with people on the podcast and, w- and with friends is just this idea that God is still writing the story of his people. I think sometimes I separate. I'm like, you know, I have my ESV Bible in the morning that I'm reading at, in my apartment in Chicago. And I'm like, this is the story of God's people. When it is, it's, you know, the Old Testament story of the Israelites and then Jesus, you know, coming as the Messiah in the New Testament. But that God is still writing the story as long as, you know, there are people who who are um, following him. And I think that sometimes, and this is kind of the conversation I'm fleshing out is, you know, it makes me think of how each of the four gospels is written by a different man. And in studying scripture, we focus on like context and who this man was and why it's significant that they wrote this book. Um, so kind of the question that I'm, you know, pondering is how does art demonstrate the intentionality of God as he continues to write his story of his people. So like, how does him using Lin-Manuel Miranda and hip hop music differ from him using Stephen Sondheim and legit musical theater and also, you know, not a bunch of white people. And you yeah. kind of touch on this in the book. So I'd love to hear you chat about it. Yeah. I think, I think that the, um, I think the way I would answer that question is that God is always working in the world. I love the idea of common grace which is this idea that God is everywhere, that God is in that anywhere there's truth being told, um, that God is a part of that and God is telling that story and God is using people everywhere, whether they're Christian or, or not Christian people, to um, proclaim his truth and, and to show what is true in this world and to show what is good in this world. Yeah. And it's been a really interesting journey, um, you know, writing this book because I've, I've had a lot of conversations with people who um, are, are critical of, of this musical or who are critical of, of the idea that God might be in it somehow. Um, and where, where I think the deeper truth is anywhere something beautiful and good and true is happening, God is at the center of that. Mm-hmm. And God is inspiring that. And God is using 
art. God is using creativity. God is using theater to draw people to him and draw people to his, his truth. And Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean it has to be a a Christian work to do that. I mean, I mean, Hamilton is explicitly not a Christian work, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you sat down and asked Lin-Manuel Miranda, you know, did you do this as a Christian person or as a way to, to teach people about faith in God? Then, I mean, that's not what he was doing and that was not his intention. And yet God was in it and God's truth is in it. And, um, the truth about, you know, I, 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 when I go around, I, I, I travel and obviously not right now with, with COVID, but um, I travel and speak on the book. And anytime I preach on the book, I talk about the idea um, that, that anytime we see a story, that that story has the capability of inspiring us and casting vision for us mm-hmm. and, and teaching us about what it means to be fully human. Mm-hmm. And I think anytime a good story is told that God is in that and God is, is using those stories to inspire us, to give us hope, to remind us of the kind of life we want to live and to try to, to try to grow from that. Yeah. And I think, and you kind of touch on too, like the themes that are so uh, applicable in today's, you know, climate and world and how, you know, Hamilton premiering, you know, in 2015 would be different than Hamilton premiering in 2002 or 2021 um, because of, all of the things that are happening in our world right now. And you I know you talk about like gender and race and all of those things. So I would love to hear kind of while you were writing this book, if those things were, how much, how much weight do you think it plays that Hamilton came out when it did? Oh, I, I think it, I think it's, um, it has a ton of weight. I mean, I think it was the perfect story at the perfect time. Right. And it's why people went bonkers about this show, right? I mean, right. I mean, I'm not sure a musical has ever captured the hearts and minds of American culture the way Hamilton did. I mean, certainly there have been successful musicals and very popular musicals, but but I mean, people just went nuts when this mm-hmm. thing came out. And right. it's interesting because that wasn't a given, right? I mean, I, I've actually connected with one of the guys who was in the original cast of Hamilton, one of the actors, and and he tells this great story about how. He was workshopping this this show very early on, and he was telling some of his buddies about it. And they were like, yeah, no, it's a hip-hop musical about one of the founding fathers. And all of his buddies were like, dude, get on to something else. This thing isn't going anywhere. Like, there's no way this is going to become something. Like, go find another project. Yeah. Um, so the, the idea that initially, I'm sure there were a lot of people that were like, what? A hip-hop musical about this founding father that nobody's heard of? Like, what a terrible idea. And right. yet... Um, I think the reason it resonated so deeply with our culture is it was the perfect story at the perfect time. I think, I think race had a huge part of that. I think um, the intentional decision to cast um, men and women of color as the roles of the founding fathers and the founding mothers was absolutely brilliant. And I think it, um, there, you know, a lot of the actors have talked about how just their very presence on stage um, mm-hmm brought the conversation of race to the forefront and made people wrestle with the question of, of race and what that's doing in our culture. And obviously that's an enormous conversation that's happening in our culture right now. And so I do think it was the perfect story at the perfect time. And I think God was behind that. I think, I think God has used this story to bring healing, to bring hope, um, to bring inspiration. Um, David Diggs, who originated, I think he originated um, the role of Jefferson and um, yeah, I think that's yeah. right. I think that's yeah. right. Um, you know, he, he has a great quote in the, in the Hamilton, the revolution book, which, which I read and I quote a lot in, in, in my God in Hamilton book. Um, he, he had the quote of just saying like, he couldn't even have imagined something like that growing up in, in Oakland as a, as a young, um, as a young boy growing up. And, and now that it's happening, he says, he hopes that it gives all kinds of 
of people in imagination for what they might become. Um, mm-hmm. Sharon Rose is another actress I've connected with. She's um, playing Eliza over um, in Britain mm-hmm. in, on Weston. And um, she talked a lot about the idea of representation mm-hmm. and about the idea that, that sometimes you have to see someone do something before you can begin to imagine it yourself. And right. so, so this idea that, that Hamilton was able to do that for so many people and, yeah. and is continuing to teach us what that looks like, I think is just absolutely beautiful and brilliant and is a huge piece of why the musical resonated so deeply with people. Right. And I think it speaks too to the, the, the power of just story in general, because I think that there are a lot of times, kind of like representation in, in kind of a different way, there are so many times when I, I'm reading scripture and Jesus is telling a parable or telling a story and it's representative of something. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's me. Or, oh my goodness, I can see so much of myself in the way that this person is postured toward Jesus or in, in the way that the Pharisees approach Jesus. I can I can see myself in that. And I think that that's one of the reasons why it's so powerful um, that Jesus himself you know, spoken in stories and how God is like a creative God and, and the, the Bible and the story of the Israelites, it is a story. And I think that that's so beautiful. Um, yeah. And actually I, I watched, I don't know if it, I watched something you did. I don't know if it was a year ago, um, but it's, it's connected to the God in Hamilton website. And it was a sermon on the transformational power of story. And, yeah. oh gosh, this just really got me. Cause I think I felt conviction because of my, you know, quote unquote, training in musical. Th- I don't know why I said quote unquote. I do have training in musical theater. Um, <laughs> um, don't, tell your, don't tell your professors you just said that. So. I know. What, what, what in the world? What? <laughs> Yikes. Um, so I felt just conviction because I do have training in musical theater. And sometimes I, I think my posture is so critical and, and my objective in, in uh, consuming or experiencing art is to evaluate it and not allow something to change me. And I think, gosh, I just, I was like, crap, because I was thinking about how I do that with art. And then it kind of diminishes some of the power to transform. And also, I think I do this with church too, sometimes like growing up in church and um, approaching church. And sometimes my posture is like, and my, I find myself, my response to a lot of Christian discussion is, it will be like, oh, that's good. Not like, oh, that changed me or, oh, that convicts me. And I think that sometimes uh, approaching church, I walk into a, a church or I, th- I think there's power in walking into a church or into a theater and saying, you know, like, speak to me, God, not, oh, let me sit back and evaluate what is happening here. Um, so that was a lot, but, but yeah. I don't know, kind of want to hear more about, uh, more about that. Well, maybe just to back up to the initial part of that question on the idea of the transformational power of story. Um, You know, uh, neuroscientists have studied our brain and have Mm -hmm. done studies where when people go to the movies, um, they've learned that when we see something on the movie screen, uh, our brain starts to think that, that what we see on the screen is actually happening to us. And so if you go see, if you go see a movie about a guy that is riding a bike, the part of our our brain that's required to ride a a bike, the, the synapses, start firing like crazy. Wow. So, so it's just this fascinating thing that's true of our, our, our DNA. I mean, Brene Brown has a great quote where she says that we are, that we are hardwired for stories that it is in our DNA. Mm-hmm. And, and that is absolutely true. There's a, there's another great quote from a, 
a time where the Los Angeles Lakers uh, were in New York and they were playing a basketball game, but they had an off night and the whole team went and saw Hamilton on Broadway. And wow. afterwards, the media, they were interviewing him and asking him what they thought. And one of the players, I think his name was Josh Hart. He said, he said, sometimes uh, you get so caught up in your life that it's really good to go see a story about someone else and then take things from that life and bring it back um, to the way that you live. Wow. And I just thought that was such a powerful quote because he's talking there about the transformational power story, right? He's saying, mm-hmm. I went to the theater. I saw this story about this guy, Alexander Hamilton. And there were things from that story that inspired me and challenged me. And I'm going to actually take those ideas back to my life today. And yeah. what a huge inspiration for those of us that do theater. The idea that, mm-hmm. that the stories that we tell on stage can be transformative for people, can impact people, can change their lives, can mm-hmm. inspire them. Um, and so I, I just love that idea. And, and back to what you were saying about the scriptures and, and the parables, that's how Jesus taught people about the kingdom of God, right? Yeah. I mean, Jesus inherently understood that was how we learn. That's how we grow. That's how we are transformed. That that was his primary strategy to communicate about God to his audiences in his day. And and I think he hopes that we do the same thing today, that 2000 years later, that we will enter into these stories that Jesus has told and that we'll take truth from them and that we'll bring them back to our lives and let them change. When, when he tells the prodigal, the story of the prodigal son about this son who wanders off and blows all his father's money and, and is welcomed back with open arms, I think Jesus hopes that we will enter into that story. And that we will say, oh my gosh, so God really does forgive me. God really does have more grace on me than I can ever begin to possibly imagine. God really does um, want to welcome me back into his kingdom, arms open and throw a party. And if we can get there as opposed to just beating ourselves up and struggling with guilt and shame and self-hatred every time we fail, I think it would radically change the way that we um, love God and and it would radically change the way that we love ourselves as well. Right. And I think that also speaks to the the power of scripture in terms of, you know, I could read the story of the prodigal son when I was, you know, in high school and like going through a rebellious phase. And I identify so much more with the younger son and just reading about how the father like brings him back in is different than if I was reading the story, you know, when I'm 25 going through like a quarter life crisis, thinking that I've been following God and like not getting what I want, quote unquote. But then I, you know, I relate or I see myself more in the jealous brother. And I think that that's what's so beautiful about you can walk out of a theater and have a discussion, you know, over a piece of like Junior's cheesecake afterwards and be like, who, who did you see yourself in or, or what did you relate to? And I think that that's why it's so beautiful. And I think it's important, like, it's important as we read scripture and it's important as we take in the story of, of what Jesus is saying that we don't just automatically, you know, cast ourselves as one of the characters or separate ourselves and allow our our experience to inform who we um, are like drawn to or convicted by. Because I think that there's, you know, there's differences, especially in the story of the prodigal son. It's like, I think we are all, all of them, you know, in a lot right. of ways, depending on of where course. we're at. Yep. That's exactly right. That's a great, that's a great insight. Yeah. So, okay. Um, Lastly, I, this was just out of curiosity. This I feel like we've just really nosedived so deep into this content, which I obviously love. Um, but I kind of just want to hear about your experience, you know, before analyzing the book or analyzing for the book, before doing all this research, I would love to just kind of hear your experience walking out of Hamilton specifically or specifically viewing the show as an instrumentalist. 
um, we asked this question to Daniel Gaiman, who I know you had on God and Hamilton yeah. too. Yep. I asked him what, what it was like being a part of Hamilton specifically as a dancer. Um, so I'd kind of love to hear just your experience walking out being like, oh gosh, um, what were your thoughts kind of in regards to your experience playing and being in the music world? Yeah. So um, first of all, let me, I, I want to say something about Daniel and then I'll, I'll answer your question. But yeah, so Daniel and I have become friends um, through this whole process. He's been, he actually toured the show and came to Kansas City and we had a chance to bring him out. I work at a place called the Culture House, which is a, a not-for-profit uh, art conservatory. And he came out and gave a talk at the Culture House and he's just an amazing guy. Um, but one of the things that, that he has talked to me about, it, going back to your question as a, as a dancer, is he told me, and he maybe said the same thing on your podcast, he said that every single move on the stage had intention behind it yeah, and had purpose behind it. And that was so inspiring to me um, to, to know that that much thought and that much intentionality goes into a show. But it also challenged me as an audience member to really sit up and to pay attention. And, to, yeah. and, and whenever I'm experiencing art, whether it's theater, whether it's a movie, whatever it is, um, that everything that's happening in front of me, there is meaning and there is purpose and there's intentionality behind it. Mm-hmm. And it really did inspire me and challenge me to think, man, I want to pay attention and I want to see those things because there's so much meaning in every single little movement, which I thought was just so brilliant. But I love Daniel. He's an amazing guy. Um, as, a, as a musician and as a composer, um, I mean, gosh, the, the, the music is just so, so, so stunningly beautiful and creative. And um, there, there are so many songs that just make you weep. I mean, and, yeah. and so for me, I, you know, I, I always like to dig into that and I've, I've studied the music and I've gone back and, you know, play a lot of them on the piano and try to look at what they're doing chord wise and melody wise. Um, I think, I think one of the things that they do that's so brilliant is, is there's just so many themes that kind of keep returning mm-hmm. um, over and over, over again um, in really unique ways. Um, and, and there's also, you know, people talk about it as a, as a hip hop musical, which is true, but there's also just beautiful ballads and, yeah. and just, just great pop songs. And um, there's just a really good mix of songs that they use. And so, um, you know, I also would say um, as, as a composer that um, some of the songs, they aren't super complicated They're but they're just they're beautiful. Right. I mean, right. a lot of them, there's just um, sometimes there's three or four chords. that might be the whole song, but the way that they arrange them and the way they put the melody to it, um, is, is just amazing. And, and it's certainly something I aspire to as a composer to write songs that don't have to be the most complicated and then don't have to have a, a thousand chord changes, but that, but that connect emotionally. Maybe, maybe it's a roundabout way of, of getting to my biggest point, which is the songs, they just connect emotionally. They yeah. resonate. There's so much feeling in them. I mean, feeling and emotion is just pouring out of this musical, um, which is another reason I think that people love it so much. Yeah. And I think, going back to kind of what you said about um, just every move with the choreography being intentional, it, it, in a way it feels like the themes embodied. I mean, Andy Blankenbuehler obviously is a genius. And um, I remember Daniel talking about one specific moment in the show. I can't remember, but he said that the direction given was like, I need that this one movement, it was like a movement of their right arm to feel like your entire life flashing before your eyes or something. Right. And that was the direction given. Right. And it just is these themes embodied. And I think that it was so interesting this morning I was reading in Jeremiah and it, it was just this small section about like, it was like the story of the soiled loincloth or something. And it was basically God being like, Jeremiah, put this loincloth on and walk around with it. Okay. Now Jeremiah, go and put the loincloth by the Euphrates river 
and leave. And then he's like, okay, now go get it. And then he looks and like the loincloth is soiled and like useless. And he's like, this is what my people have become to me. And I was yeah, like, yeah. What, a, what a strange <laughs> way for God to teach this lesson that he could have just told him. But I feel like almost there's this connection here of when we, when our bodies get involved and when we um, have to learn a lesson over time or see this choreography happen over time and how even like the idea of the bullet being a person. Um, right, right. Yeah, I don't actually know if that connects. That might be a stretch, but I just thought of that. It was applicable to my reading this morning. Yeah, I mean, there, the, the, I mean, there's so many scenes with the choreography that just have stuck with me, and just the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the beauty of the human body and the way it can move, and the way it, it uh, moves along with the music and the rhythm. And um, at, at, like I said, I work at a place called the Culture House, and we also have a dance company that's that's um, a part of a part of our, our organization called Sterling Dance Theater. And um, they do a performance every year called The Underground, which it's mm-hmm. a it's a, it's a a musical or a um, it's a dance piece about the Underground Railroad. And, wow. and every year when they perform it, the way they move and the emotion that comes out of it, it just, it's, it's so stunning and so um, moving what people can do with, with their bodies and, and people that have been trained and worked for years and years and years to, to do that. But um, you know, the bullet is a great example in Hamilton of just what a creative, uh, interesting way that that's, uh, you know, I'll never forget that scene for the rest of my life. The, the other one that's interesting or that always stays with me is the, um, is the rowing scene where uh, after Hamilton gets shot and they row him back across the river and oh. the turntable stage is moving. And so they're kind of rowing as they move. And, and I'm kind of getting chills even just thinking about it because it's just the way that that whole scene comes together is is just remarkable and that's it's part of the power of musical theater right i mean musical theater you have you have actors you have dance you have music you have uh lights you have all these different um you know the the collaboration that's involved with all the different people that that are a part of creating something like that is is what part of what makes it just such a powerful and such a unique medium i think yeah i think so too oh so good okay ugh i love talking about this i could sit and talk about this for hours um (laughs) Okay, so kind of switching gears a little bit, I would love to just hear more about the Culture House. I feel like it, as you've been talking about it, it makes me so encouraged to hear that this is happening. Yeah, yeah. So the Culture House, it is an amazing place. Um, it uh, so it was founded by uh, a couple, Jeremiah and Mona Enna. I think twenty. I think we're getting close to our twenty fifth year anniversary coming up this year. Wow. Um, and they both uh, were highly creative people. They, I think, were in the dance world. Um, I know Mona for sure, and I think that was Jeremiah's main craft as well. And they came back to Kansas City, where they're from, and wanted to start an art community. And mm-hmm. and and they actually lived and worked in Europe for a number of, of years. And in Europe, there's um, these different places that were called the Culture House, which is where all the creatives would gather and they would do work together. And so, so he came back to Kansas City and started this this. Um, this arts community and we have a theater conservatory. We have a dance company. We have a professional music studio that we do a lot of work in. Um, we have an art division. I mean, we just do a lot of different things and um, we have a conservatory. So we have kids that come through and do tons of stuff, um, you know, with in those different disciplines, art, theater, music, dance. Um, and then we also have a professional division where again, we've got a professional dance company. We do a couple different, um, kind of community theater pieces a year, uh, and, you know, we do a lot of music stuff year round with our studio and it's just this amazing thriving arts community, um, that is also faith-based, but 
but um, you know, we, we don't say that we're doing Christian art. We just say we're doing good art. Yeah. And we think that when we create things that are again, good and beautiful and true, that we're um, that we are putting good things out in the world and that God can use that. So, you know, we, our kids, when they're in the theater conservatory, they do Shrek and they yeah. do um, just normal musicals, but the way we invest in our kids and teach our kids and inspire our kids um, it's it's all based in this life of faith and trying to um, pass along that character and that inspiration to people as well. So it's a, it's a really amazing place. Wow, that sounds amazing. <laughs> That's so encouraging for me to hear. Um, okay, switching gears again. Here we go. Another little turn. Okay, I want to hear all about Roar, which is your new musical. Um, I've been like stalking the Instagram page to try to find all this info. I know that you all have, I think demos are coming out soon or they. Yes, they are okay. done. We've just finished demos. So those are done. It's very exciting. Okay. Um, Tell me yes. everything. So, so yeah. So, um, so I don't know, seven years ago, I had left a church that I played. I was a church planner for my career for about 20 years. Mm-hmm. And um, I had recently left the church plant um, and kind of handed off leadership to another person and, had some ideas of what I was going to go do and, and everything in my life just kind of fell apart for about nine months. And mm-hmm. so I was in just a really dark place, um, really struggling through a lot of things and feeling like my life wasn't turning out the way I hoped. Like I had all these dreams and these desires and I just kept running into a brick wall. And um, after about a year of that, I finally started playing some music again. I'd kind of gotten away from playing and, and just wasn't really touching the piano at all. And so finally just went down to the basement and started kind of playing again. And one night, this idea, this song, and this idea came to me about a family of dancing bears um, whose daughter had a dream of becoming the first uh, dancing and singing bear. Yes. So it's all about this bear who, uh, you know, lives in this world where bears are expected to dance, and she wants to break through and become the first bear to sing. And her whole family um, tells her she can't do it. The whole family tells her that the humans will freak out if they find out bears can talk or bears can sing. So they discourage her from doing it. And, um, you know, the humans, uh, when the, when the bears actually do sing, the humans freak out and there's a riot at this performance where it's happening. And one of the bears gets shot and it sends, um, Sarah, the bear is the lead character, but it sends Sarah on this journey of trying to figure out a way for her voice to be heard in the world. And, um, so it started with one song and I put a band together and I was just going to do like a rock opera. I was just going to go out and play it at bars and stuff. And, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I put about 10 or 11 songs together and, uh, and the project just kind of, it didn't go anywhere. It just kind of hit pause, but I had these songs. And, and then when I wrote the book, um, I started traveling around and speaking about the book and, and I would play some songs from the musical and, um, just tell people about how this story is impacting me and how the creative act impacts me and how writing songs has been an important way that I've connected with God. And as I played these songs and shared them with people, um, people would keep coming up afterwards and just saying like, oh my gosh, I love those songs and it's such a creative story and you have to finish this project. You have to turn this into a musical. Wow. So about two and a half years ago, um, my wife jumped on board and, and she's the book writer and I wrote the songs and the lyrics and we are just like, you know, up to our eyeballs in this project and it's just turned into way more than we ever anticipated. Um, but it's been incredibly fun. It's been It's been a very, very inspiring project for both of us. And um, we're moving forward. I mean, we've done four kind of table read workshops. Um, we have a stage reading that we're planning for this spring that'll be outside. So it'll be COVID compliant and everything. Um, but yeah, we're just trying to move down the road and trying to get this thing up on a stage and, and trying to put it out into the world. Wow. That is so cool. And also, I think 
that's so interesting how you like as an adult were going through what you were going through and I think this kind of goes back to our conversation about form and content a little bit of um that the story God kind of called you to write was about a bear like it was about what would maybe cater to like a younger audience yeah it, is it more like what would you say the target audience is is it like technically a tya show or is it just more like the bears are just the vessel to tell a story for all ages yeah it's not tya we we're, we're kind of calling it a family show so okay. we're trying to be we're trying to go down the lane like the pixar goes down which totally. is, which is you know a great story for kids and families but super engaging for adults and yeah. and really a lot of deep themes and, and a lot of deep meaning in the story of the bears that really are analogy for, um, you know, uh, people groups that are on the margins, people groups mm -hmm. that have their voices silenced and, yeah. and really the, the common human longing for our voice to be heard. I mean, I mean, that's really what the story is about. So the bears, um, are, are an analogy for all of that. And, and it's an interesting show because there's no humans in the entire show. It's bears. And then Sarah runs off to the circus to try to go let her voice be heard there. Cause she thinks, um, the circus might be a place where, where that can happen. And oh. the circus is run by evil clowns. And when she gets to the circus, she finds out too late that they're going to imprison her too and force her to continue dancing for them and not singing. Um, oh, but so the whole show is and evil clowns and there's no human in the entire thing. Um, but yeah, so it's a, it's family show. And, um, we think that, uh, the music and the themes are, are super engaging for, for all ages. And that's kind of the lane that we're trying to go down. That's so cool. So how can I and our listeners, myself and our listeners, me and our listeners, I don't know, whatever. Um, <laughs> how can we keep up to date with the project or maybe, I mean, you said you're trying to get it on a stage. So how can we, you know, be championing you in, in this and, and maybe see, hear the demos when they come out and all that good stuff. Yeah. So, um, the, the website is about to be launched. Um, and so you can certainly find us there. Uh, it's just roarthemusical.com. Great. And that should be up, um, hopefully within the next week or two, actually. And oh, yes. you can certainly follow our journey there. Um, we're also on Instagram, um, at just, it's just roar musical is our handle on Instagram. And so literally we've like, we're just launching these within the week. So, so it's all brand new um, as wow. far as getting out there, but those are the two places you can just kind of follow along on the journey. Yeah. Um, again, we are, um, we are doing a stage training in Kansas city. Um, we're talking to some general managers in New York to kind of help us um, um, line up the next steps for our production and hoping to get it up. And I mean, obviously with COVID, everything's kind of on pause, Sure. but I do think people are optimistic that, you know, late fall, early winter, that theaters will be opening up again. And, um, and you know, one of the things that producers have told us is that um, this story that we have, it really is kind of a inspiring story of, of this family of bears that are going to overcome all these obstacles and, and, and finally get to a point where their voice rings out and their voice is heard. And so it's a very inspiring story and it's a hopeful story. And, and we've had some producers say, it sounds like a great story for a post COVID world, as far as yeah. what audiences will be wanting to go see at the theater, to go see stories of, of overcoming huge obstacles and, and right. rising above the circumstances that they find themselves in. And, and um, yeah, so that's what we'll be doing. Um, and yeah, we're just trying to connect with anybody that, that can help us move that down the road. So website, um, Instagram can are probably the two best places to kind of follow our journey. Okay. Amazing. That's so awesome. I'm so excited to hear more and learn more. I think probably by the time this episode airs, all of that content will be up because this will be an interview for season three. Um, great, so the great. website will definitely be up, but yay. Okay. Awesome. This was so, I feel like we covered so much content so quickly, Kevin, we just really just <laughs> plowed through what I had. Um, 
But yeah, okay. That was amazing. Um, so glad to have you on. And I'm hoping that our listeners can keep up to date with you, follow you. I know that – so you have an Instagram. I know that your podcast, God in Hamilton, has an Instagram. Listeners, if you haven't read God in Hamilton, please – it's incredible. It's so good. I geek out on it, which is why I had this – you know, freaking dissertation of an interview happened, but um, you're awesome, Kevin. Thanks so much for coming on. Well, hey, thank you so much. I enjoyed the conversation and I love the way that you are. I mean, I can just tell you are thoughtfully and um, carefully working through this, this idea of theater and God and faith. And, yeah. and I'm just so inspired by that conversation and love the work you're doing and love the way that you're bringing kind of your yourself and your passion and your desire to this as well. So you're doing good work as well. So keep it up. Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. All right. Well, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Narrow Way to Broadway podcast. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe. We release new episodes the first and third Monday of the month. For more information on what we're up to, follow us on Instagram at InwayBWay. 